My father had met my mother in Chitose okay. during the Korean War, and they got married and they got transferred to Hachinohe where I was born and returned to Sapporo. And then, uh, because he was still in the U.S. Army, a lot of travel. I want to welcome someone whose daughter I taught. She's 30 now, but I taught her when she was about four years old, years ago, here at this club. Ray, I want to welcome you here this morning. Um, we, you talked to me about the one I did with right. Tim Connor, and we started talking then. And my approach to most people on this podcast is if you'd like what I'm doing, I want you on. <laughs> okay. So you're visiting here in Japan now, right? That's correct. Um, where were you born? In a seaport city called Hachinohe, in the prefecture of Aomori, in the region called Tohoku in northern Japan. Wow, I drive there all the time on my oh. motorcycle. Oh, yes. I go to Aomori, then I go across to go to Hakodate, and then oh. ride to all of Hokkaido, all the way up to Wakanai. Yeah. Okay, so did you live there most of your life no. as a child? Uh, I spent only maybe a few months in Hachinohe. Okay. And the reason I was born in Hachinohe was because my father was in the 1st Cavalry Division during the Korean War. And he was stationed at Camp Hagen, which is in Hachinohe, which is no longer there, a Jietai or Japanese Self-Defense Forces camp now. Right. It predates Misawa Air Force Base. Yeah. Wait just a minute. Your father's American? Uh, yes. Uh, but he's Japanese-American. Yes, uh, all the above, uh, because my grandparents, uh, my father's parents, arrived on Maui uh, in 1899. Did they have? To, did they suffer the concentration camp? I mean, the camps. Uh, because of my the father, yes, yeah. yes, uh, because um, uh, uh, well, uh, he was born on, in on Maui, but he was raised in Kumamoto Prefecture as a kid to be educated there and then came back to Maui during the early 30s. So he graduated from Maui High School in 1937. And uh, a couple of years later, he was obsessed by cars. And he went to Detroit to study auto engineering. At what age? Well, he was in his mid-20s, uh, and it was bad timing. It was just before Pearl Harbor. <laughs> but, if he, but he was there, he was in Detroit, Yes. so he didn't have to go into the concentration camp. Uh, well, uh, 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 yes and no. Um, uh, the day after Pearl Harbor, uh, two FBI agents were knocking at his door at his uh, boarding house. In Chicago? In, no, 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 in Detroit. In Detroit, yes. They knew everything that he was doing, and uh, he was allowed to finish his school in the to the spring of two th uh, 1942, right? So December 7, uh, uh, 1941, but he was allowed to remain there because, of course, he was not on the West Coast. Right. He was not a spy or you know right. anything happening on the on, on a port city like San Francisco or Seattle or San Diego. And then, uh, of course, he couldn't go to a relocation camp because they hadn't constructed it yet. So uh, he arrived there when it was constructed to Jerome, Arkansas. And there were two camps, Rower and Jerome. In Arkansas they had a camp? Yes, I two. thought they were all on the West Coast. No, uh, they were, um, uh, 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 you're correct that they were inland. Uh, there were places in Minidoka, uh, Idaho, Gila River, Arizona, 
uh, Tule Lake, which I think in uh, California, Manzanar, California. So, uh, and I think one in Colorado, but the one most inland was in Arkansas. Wait, well, you, you are really, were you the, are you the only child? No, I have a sister. Okay, are you yeah. the first? Yes. And how many years difference between you About and your sister? About five years, because I lost a sister in between. Okay. Yeah, were baby. you and your sister close? Uh, I would say uh, we are very close now, much closer now. But not as a child. Not as children because of the age gap. That's right. When, I, when yeah. I went to college, she was still, you know, 12, 12 years old. <laughs> yeah. Right. You were born in Hachino, not right. in Hachino here, right? Right, right. And then you stayed there for how long and then you moved Just on? several months. Uh, yeah. And then we returned to uh, Sapporo, uh, where you know, the base was. Outside Chitose, as you know, uh, was a major base until the early 70s. So... Um, uh, my father had met my mother in Chitose okay. during the Korean War. And they got married and they got transferred to Hachinohe where I was born and returned to Sapporo. And then, uh, because he was still in the U.S. Army, a lot of travel. Um, uh, and, uh, and then we were in Virginia at Fort Eustace and Newport News and then uh, in Hawaii for a little bit, uh, Schofield Barracks. What do, what do you start to remember? What parts oh, do you remember? I remember uh, Hawaii maybe when I was five years old, four okay. or five years old, and then for, uh, swimming in the Chesapeake Bay, I remember uh, right. uh, clearly, and, and first grade in, uh, um, in Virginia. Uh, but the clearest memories of Japan is that we spent several years in the early 60s in Yokohama okay. during the Tur Tokyo Olympics. So, yeah, so, so I know Yokohama and Tokyo uh, of that time. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, people don't realize that the, uh, you know, the whole city changed because of the Olympics. I saw a, some kind of uh, newscast, the monorail has opened. That's right. Yeah. right, right. Yeah. 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 And it's still there. That's right. That's <laughs> right. From 63 or 4. Take right. uh, Oko Hotel, Imperial Hotel, uh, very big center. New Otani opened up. Okra, you know, uh, and, and before there were just inns and, and, and small hotels. The landscape was very low. I mean, the horizon yeah. was very low. Yeah, and, and all yeah. kinds of. Uh, because it was just uh, yeah, right right. the they're right. still recuperating from that. Correct. And it was the first Olympics in Asia. That's right, yeah. 1964. And, and it showed that Japan had climbed out of the devastation of World War II. That's You're right. right. And, but I remember uh, a banana was a big rarity That's right, know, for local right. uh, uh, Japanese. Uh, and, and how, my, old, you know, how old were you at that time? How about 10 years old. 10 years yeah. old. And, but we were living off the base, but I still went into Yokosuka and, you know, I was going to school, Kinnick School at that point, which is, a, you know, a school uh, still there. So I remember the disparity, the PX and, you know, uh, and so forth, and, and we were uh, working, uh, living in a local neighborhood. Uh, and, and my friends, uh, Japanese friends, would tell me of eating uh, well meat. Right, of for course. For lunch. Yes. It yes. was very much a third world country uh, right. at that point, even then. Yes. And the yen was three sixty to a dollar. So when did you yeah. start? That's right. Yeah. That's right. You, you just missed the 410 <laughs> <laughs> prior to that. What was it like for you? You knew that you were advantaged. I mean, you started knowing you were advantaged, and you were an American. Right. But you had Japanese nationality, too? Did no, you have both? never. Never? You've never had Because both. at that time, at the, at the time of my birth, the laws changed. Uh, my father had to be a Japanese citizen. Had to be a Japanese citizen? Citizen, yes, my father. It's patrilineal, through the father. Right. 
Oh, and he wasn't, right. Yes. Okay, I understand. Yeah, only the father. Right. Whereas other countries, and then it changed in, during the late 70s and 80s because of, you know, out I mean, right. uh, Japanese women marrying uh, non-Japanese citizens, so they could bestow a Japanese system matrilineal, you know, right. through the mother. Right. Uh, whereas there are other countries like Israel, where <laughs> it's mother. Mother, mother, <laughs> right. yeah. mother, mother, you're not even Yeah, you're, you're right. that's correct. Uh, so it's very yeah, central. That's but right. the patri patrilineal is common in Confucian countries, South Korea, Taiwan, Japan. Well, the U.S. isn't Confucian, and it's, isn't it It's both, the both. It's both? Both, both. In yeah, the U.S.? Uh, uh, from the beginning. And, and the also beginning. you okay. have uh, 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 U.S. citizenship through birth in the okay. U.S. Yeah. Right. Now, why are you so knowledgeable about this historical stuff? I mean, <laughs> no, really, because yeah. I can s just sense that you really know the history behind everything you've gone through. A lot of people forget about all right. this. I, I think that um, uh, in order to understand what is happening today, uh, we must understand how people dealt with life uh, in the past right. and also looking in the future because uh, we can't make the same mistakes. And, people, and, and I see people in the past, like my grandfather, uh, uh, who had never heard English, uh, suddenly responding to a uh, you know, announcement or, or uh, some uh, uh, recruiter coming to his town called Tamana in northern Kumamoto uh, prefecture and saying, why not work in a sugar plantation in Hawaii? And he said, this sounds great. <laughs> Compared to what he had. That's course. right. Of course. Uh, as, as a, uh, not as a first son. I think he was a third son. And he knew he wasn't going to inherit anything. Yes, right. nothing. So he was going to have nothing. So he left for Maui and, uh, in 1899. And, um, and my grandmother uh, followed as a picture bride. She had never met my grandfather. Right, right. And then came three sons in succession. Uh, your father in? 1915. No, the, the, second, the, the second. The second son. Okay. And, but he, he and his the f uh, uh, first son, uh, two brothers, were brought up in Japan. And my grandmother brought up a third son and he was spoiled rotten. Of course. Because she, imagine if you're my grandmother uh, and, and thinking that she'll never see her two sons again. Right. Yeah, she imagine, to keep I one. mean, when they she left. She wanted to keep one. Right, right. and imagine. he was spoiled. And, and, but he was also the most American because he never studied Japanese. Okay. And you're correct that my older uncle and my father were very close living together in their uncle's home But they were, Kumoto. how many, were they just three, months apart? About uh, three years apart. Three years yeah, apart, three okay. Years. And what about the youngest? About three years, no, uh, about four years, no, yeah. Uh, uh, From your father? My father, yes. Oh, so yes. there's no way they would be close. Yes, right? so um, my <laughs> uncle, uh, uh, well, there's three brothers, their names were Takeshi, Mareshi, Futoshi. Okay. But they had nicknames, Bill, Roy, Buster. Of course. Yeah, and, course. and uh, both my uh, uh, uncle uh, Bill and my father spoke Japanese to each other all the time because we were raised in Japan. The third was very American. He could not speak Japanese at all. It was very pidgin or very uh, uh, dialect-filled and so forth. But he was the one who uh, uh, went into the 442nd and uh, won the Bronze Star north of Rome. North of Rome? Yes, he was uh, uh, north of the Arno River. 
Yes. What you don't think? Wait, wait. Which war are we talking about? This is your the Second World War, war uh, uh, World War Two. Yeah. This is your brother's. Uh, this is my uh, this is my uh, uh, uncle, my father's younger oh, brother. Oh, your father's yeah, younger yeah, brother. Yeah, okay, yes, I'm missing. Yes. Yeah, I'm yeah. missing it. Okay. So he he he's the one who was very American. But wait, wait. Yeah. your father's younger brother, right? Yes. But you said your father was in the Korean War. Yes. He was also in the U.S. military. But he had to have been in World War II then. Yes, exactly. So and he stated he was career Correct. Uh, see, what yes, okay. you're correct. That My uncle uh, uh, was discharged after the war, immediately right. ran, uh, went back to Maui. But my father, um, yeah, but you see, it's, it's very nuanced how you look at things unless you're there. I asked my father how it was in a relocation camp in Arkansas. And he said, oh, in the beginning it was really great. Why is that? Well, he, had, he was a single man, young, he had three meals a day, and he met other Japanese speakers. And he had fun playing cards and, and you know, hanging out and reading books. And uh, he didn't have a family, right? right? He didn't have his mother or you know, father going through all this. So he was kind of uh, free-spirited. And then I said, what happened? Well, he said uh, uh, the w week after Pearl Harbor, w he always had a uh, 1A selective service card. You know what that is. Right, yeah, right. He's uh, eligible for the draft right. at any time. Anytime. Right. Anytime. Anytime. Right. The board says, come, right. you have to go. You gotta go right. And you have to do your physical right. and your basic training. Well, he received a new card in the mail that said, uh, a draft card that says, enemy alien ineligible for the draft. But he was born on Maui. He was a citizen of the U.S. Uh, but at that time, he said, "Well, that's okay." Uh, this is in '42. Uh, yes, exactly, 1942. So he was in uh, uh, Arkansas, and then one day he got bored, and then he saw in the newspaper that the law had changed. By Catch-22, the U.S. would not draft him as a Japanese American, but he could volunteer. <laughs> it's a catch-22, right? right? And then he immediately volunteered. And I said, why did you do that? He said, well, I wanted to get out of the camp and just see things. Right. And uh, so uh, where did he go? Well, he went to a training camp, a basic training camp, called Camp Shelby in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, which was at that time the hometown of the University of Southern Mississippi, which was segregated. And so he arrived in this town, and immediately saw that everything was the fountains, the buses, the movie house, completely segregated world. And then and he met my uncle, who was also going through basic training. And they said, we should have a photograph, a picture, before we get sent, you know, uh, uh, fighting uh, outside the U.S. So they tried to find a photography studio that will admit them. them right. But they found it. They found one. And I still have that picture. Just the two of them. Yes, but they had—they you know. were on, they were in all Asian, all Japanese Correct. squadron. They could not be mixed. But yes, they but, but they could walk around Hattiesburg. Oh, I understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or anywhere at out. their own risk. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> but actually, uh, but actually, they found the South. Uh, 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 but uh, a very interesting place because. It was quite different to Detroit, which was uh, not that segregated. Uh, but of course, as you know, there was the great migration of African Americans coming from the South and working in Ford. And after World War II, yeah. particularly. Huge. Yeah. Right. But you could see the beginnings of that. That's but right. still, after the war, that would be great it's migration. It was yeah. from there and also to the West. Right. The East Coast, up, up north, and then to the um, West. Because my father was a part of that from Louisiana. Right. Yeah. 
He was yeah. in World War II. So uh, again, you see the world and you want to go see, you know, you, uh, you want to live outside your hometown. So, and that's what happened. And, uh, uh, what happens to my father is interesting. And then he had uh, two things that happened uh, during World War II that saved his life. Number one, a uh, Nisei or Japanese American uh, officer came and said, if you speak and read uh, uh, Japanese, come, to me, come with me to be trained as an interpreter or cryptologist or reader of you know, documents. You get another stripe, more money, and it'll be a great, great time. My father thought about this, and he said, I'm better than anybody here. All the other Nisei could barely speak your Japanese because they grew up in Hawaii or Stockton or Seattle. But he had grown up in Japan. And, but he was very fluent in English. And, uh, but he said, there's something fishy about this. But he didn't go. Years later, he's in Paris. <laughs> this is another story. And, and, and he meets another Nisei, what happened to them? And many of them ended up in Burma, of course. Guadalcanal, right. Philippines, and it was really a bad situation, a uh, bad environment, shot at both, uh, by both, both sides. sides. Both right, sides, of yeah. course. And, and so uh, that happened. The second thing that happened to him was that the U.S. Army reviewed his background and said one day, do you know about cars? And my father says, yes. And they said, we're going to take you out of the infantry and put you in the quartermaster corps. And because we want you, and this was later in the war when France was liberated and, and Germany was ready to uh, surrender. And he became a courier on the Autobahn in Munich, uh, in post-war uh, Germany, occup occupation Germany. And uh, Stuttgart and, 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 and Munich, he would ride the Autobahn because the Jeep broke, he had to fix it. There were no gas stations. Radiator broke, a tire change, he, could, he had to fix it. So he's in Munich, and all the Germans would come to the beer hall with him and whisper, Germany and Japan like this. <laughs> and they bought him drinks, and, and he had a great time. And to this, uh, before he passed away, some of his best, happiest times were in Austria and Germany. Of course. How old was he when he passed? Uh, 2005. He was 2005, 90. Yeah, yeah. 90. Yeah. Your mother? She passed away young. She was barely 70 oh, okay. uh, during a heart operation in the year 2000. Okay. Yeah. And she uh, was born and raised in Hokkaido. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we're very old residents of Hokkaido from uh, uh, Honshu, and as you know, Aomori, that was the uh, area of the Matsumaya clan, who crossed the strait, Tsugaru Strait, to Hokkaido, called Ezo, in the early 18th century. And my ancestors uh, came to Hokkaido and settled in a very small village called Kaminokuni, next to a larger port called Esashi. North of Esashi was the line, was all Ainu. I was, I, was yeah. about to, I was just about to say that to you, because I was going to say, <laughs> you could be Ainu. Well, uh, the, the joke is that we're part Russian. <laughs> the joke part is Russian, ha right. half joke. And because right. they're still doing Sakoku during the time when Japan was, <clears throat> was insular and nobody mm -hmm. could travel out or people could come in. The only place that had some interaction with outsiders was Hokkaido. I knew were traveling to Sakhalin in the north to Russia, trading furs and salmon. And Japanese, my ancestors, were fishing, and they must have 
Some of them, uh, uh, you know, landed on the Russian area. And but then all those back. islands too. I mean, prior to that, all those islands were still Japanese control. Correct. Yes. They were all right up to Russia. Yes, that's basically. right. So and and some of my relatives were in uh, Karafto, which is north of mm -hmm. uh, uh, Japan. Half of that was Japanese until the end of the war, right. and then uh, the uh, Russians invaded. Right, exactly. And even today, uh, there are videos of Japanese <coughs> uh, graves and former temples in Sakhalin, mm. yeah. Right, my goodness, so tell me, through school, okay, you're going through school, I'm gonna get back to you yeah. now. That was interesting about your father, though, because I'm very close to my father. You were very close to your father? Yeah, I, I think, uh, uh, though, uh, he, he regretted not wanting to be the auto engineer or mechanical that he always wanted to be. Uh, the war um, uh, changed everything, you're right. So um, <clears throat> in that way, uh, during the 60s also, uh, Japan was growing, and so, but he's, he always thought that Japan would never develop a car industry. He was very He really Amer thought that. Oh, he was very American. He was all Ford. He was all Ford, uh, Chrysler, Chrysler, GM. GM yes. uh, he was very uh, Of course. Uh, well, we were, the, we were the dominant then. Right. And there was nothing here during the right. early 60s. It was, things were just breaking up. So I, I also th think what would have happened to me if I had not left for Hawaii in 65. Because after 65, things changed dramatically uh, I within Japan. And then the 70s comes, and then suddenly 80s come, and there's the bubble, and Japan is the center of the world. And I, I always wondered what would my career would have looked like. Uh, but I think, in the end, I think I would have uh, uh, left for a US uh, college, university, probably in Hawaii, and would not have lived in Japan. But I'm, I'm always interested in what ifs, what happens to What, ifs, what yeah. ifs, so you uh, really like history. For example, uh, I wrote a uh, short essay for the Japan Times on the sinking of the Toyamaru. And the Toyamaru was a very uh, uh, innovative ship that went from Hakodate to Aomori all the time. And in 1951 or so. What was its purpose? Uh, uh, it was just, a, it was a ferry. It was okay, a ferry. A ferry. Uh, uh, in those days, as you know, um, until the, s the tunnel was made, the Seikan tunnel, and of course, there's millions of flights from Haneda to uh, Sapporo. The only way to go, to go to Hokkaido was to go to Ueno Station, get on a sleeper train that goes to Aomori, and then you get on a ferry to Hagodate and then another train to Sapporo. There's a long journey. Right. And my father was supposed to go to Hachinohe and uh, to get on the ferry called the Toyamaru. And uh, it was early September. And for some reason, he didn't get on the ship. And then the ship sank in a typhoon. And if you look at the records, it's one of the more than nearly 2,000 people, uh, at least 1,500, passed away on that ship. It was loaded with people, including soldiers from the 1st Cavalry Division at that time, the Korean War. And I, I think what had happened is that my mother was pregnant with me. And if my father had lost, what would have happened to my life that I would be in Hokkaido, still a U.S. citizen, uh, but having a very, uh, very life. local Hokkaido, Chitose, uh, Inaka country kind of uh, upbringing. That's another whole trajectory that I missed yeah. because my father missed that ship and we went to Hawaii. Uh -huh. But he, he uh, had retired by the time I was in uh, 
second, third grade. Oh, really? Yes, yes. So what did he, he start doing? What kind of work did you find? Well, he um, uh, had a hard time adjusting to life after the military. And uh, in Hawaii, he worked in a, a, a warehouse part of Hickam Air Force Base. Okay. So that's what he did. Yeah. Right. Your father stayed in for, what, 20 years? Yes, yes, he retired. Because yes. I think that was all yes, they allowed yes, you at that yes. time. 20 years. So what, what did your interest start to develop into from elementary? What, oh. were, were you more academic or were you more sports-minded? Uh, no, I was child? more academic. Um, and and um, I was always interested in, in, uh, in, in writing and literature and English and so forth. And, uh, and, uh, but my first degree, uh, bachelor's, at, during the early mid-70s, you know, when you think back in the 70s, was in ethnic studies. Okay, but you didn't get involved in sports, and you had to do some sort of sports. Yeah, activities. a Which little you, bit, uh, but you not interested. much, not much in uh, in high school, <laughs> uh, because I was surrounded by uh, Hawaiians and Samoans who were very good <laughs> in, in football, <laughs> much much bigger. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I grew up in an area called Kalihi Palama in okay. Honolulu. Uh, it's a district adjacent to downtown. Uh, uh, very, uh, it used to be more Japanese back then. It's predominantly Filipino and and Pacific Islander to, and immigrants today. Well, I think the area where I grew up was very ethnically diverse. Uh, in Hawaii. Maybe, yeah, in Hawaii, uh, which is very unique uh, in Kalihi Palama. Uh, always made me uh, never judge, uh, this is a silly, uh, book by its cover. Always ask questions. What, how do they see the world that is different than yours? And to adjust the way I speak to that person so that person understands me and my background in the context of their world. That's interesting. When did you start to develop that? I think in school, uh, you know, as a way to, you know, uh, make friends and, and sustain friends. And, and, um, uh, and what's, what was interesting is that I, during my 20 years in Tokyo, I did a lot of work in Japan, of course, the Gaishke foreign companies in Japan, but also I did work in emerging markets, which means places like Greater China, India, Southeast Asia, I even went to South Africa, Brazil, Russia, and, and other parts of the world. And the, I think I, I could deal with other people in an effective way uh, because I wanted to learn about them. And people loved to tell other people about themselves. <laughs> they loved hearing questions. And, and so uh, that's what I did. And, and, uh, that, and, and uh, also the word uh, uh, respect. And because I'm curious, you know. And, and, and they would say, oh, that's the, f I'll give you an example. In Southern India is quite different than Northern India. Many languages there in Southern India. Uh, whereas in the north, uh, Hindi predominates. Um, and I learned about this in Chennai, uh, which was called Madras in southern uh, India. And I learned a little bit about their uh, Tamil language. And then I spoke it to uh, uh, some greetings there in a hotel. And they were overwhelmed because they thought that foreigners thought that only Indian people speak Hindi. And they were just overwhelmed that a person would study about it. And, and same, same thing like South Africa. I went there and found out that many people speak many languages, uh, Isikosa, Isizulu, and so forth. 
and um, uh, Kunjani is, is a greeting. And, and, and that was a very powerful way of just uh, uh, connecting with people. That I, I knew that uh, they weren't uh, uh, dominant in you know, one group. There were many, many groups because they're codes. They would, uh, you know, and, and so in, if I meet a person from India today and ask them where they're from, and they may say, uh, Mumbai, and I say, oh, are you a Marathi speaker? Are you Gujarati? If they're from Bangalore, if they speak uh, Kannada or uh, their home language, and there are maybe some uh, uh, Telugu or, or Tamil, and this, oh, they yes, yeah. Right, you're right in there. Yeah, and, and they said, you understand my family and so forth. And, and then, then from there, uh, I think we uh, have something in common that, 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 and then we can go beyond that because now they, they know that under I understand the context of their family and there's a code word that they use, uh, their community. Which is, which is caste or whatever in, in India, and, and, and language. Uh, and, and many times in Shandi.com, which is a, uh, a website for marriages, you always see lines. They must speak their language. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Or, or, and of course, their community and so forth. But the language is because they need a partner who can communicate to their parents. Uh, see, excellent right, family. Right, yeah, yeah. Because and that's very important. That's right. And yeah. their so, and their so uh, it's right. a long story, but uh, Kalihi Palama is where I grew up. But I, I used, leveraged what I learned, uh, uh, interacting with people uh, uh, globally. That's why you graduated with uh, a degree in yeah. ethnic studies, it, it, which most people would think you're not going to make much money no. <laughs> that type of degree because that's what people would think at that time. Well, today, what is the course? Uh, words in major corporate Fortune 250 companies. Diversity. Diversity, right. Inclusiveness. Inclusiveness, Yes, right. and, and, and collaboration. Right. Uh, and across borders, intra-company, inter-company partnerships. These are words that uh, every CEO is using today. That's right. That's so true. My goodness. So where do you see yourself today? What's your, what's your uh, life like now? I, so your, daughter, your daughter being 30 years old 30 now, Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we live lawyer. together. We live together. Oh, she lives <laughs> yes. with you? Well, what about uh, your wife? Uh, we live all together okay. with my son-in-law, my uh, daughter, and, and my grandchild. Oh, that yeah. is beautiful. So, so, uh, so that's a new life for, for us. And, and, but many families are intergenerational in Hawaii because of work uh, flex inflexibility. My daughter is uh, now a year and, and uh, five months, and uh, she's uh, uh, Japanese on her mother's side and, and a lot of Portuguese she's on her. She's a year uh, and five. Uh, your daughter, your granddaughter? My granddaughter, yes, okay. my granddaughter. Yeah, so it's a, a baby. And, and so, um, yeah, so we take care of that. And, and, um, uh, but I, I always wanted to come back uh, Partly see all friends in Tokyo, but on Friday I'm going to Sapporo to see uh, to do in Japanese Ohaka Maeri, which is to you know pay respects to uh, our yeah, family grave on my mother's side, and I have many many cousins in Sapporo, and and we're getting together. Uh, during COVID, of course, I've lost several uncles, but I could not go to uh, uh, the funeral. So uh, that's my other uh, goal this time. Mm -hmm. Do you speak many languages? No, I, I, I just speak Japanese and English, and um, uh, that's the way I was brought up uh, because my fa uh, father and mother uh, spoke Japanese at home all the time. Right. Yeah. And they made sure you did that. Before I end the podcast, Rui, there's always a question I like to ask everyone. And if you've watched any of them, you probably know what it is. If you could magically go back in time and meet the younger Ray <laughs> and give him advice, yeah. knowing what you know now, 
How old would that Ray be, and what type of advice would you give him? I would go back to um, when I was 10 years old in Japan, and, and uh, really young Ray, I guess, and tell that boy that you can take great risks in life, but you have to work at it to achieve those. Yeah. And um, I, I think I would not change anything because I'm, I think I'm bound by fate <laughs> in a Buddhist kind of way. Uh, and, uh, but on the other hand, uh, my life has been tied as a bridge between Japan and the U.S. and, and especially Hawaii. But when I think of risk, imagine what risk my grandparents took leaving Japan and their families and all their friends and education and language to Hawaii. And I said, there was no information back then. Right. There was no internet. There was no uh, TV or radio. And they took, uh, they, uh, my, uh, both of them never returned to Japan once. Uh, all, they spent their entire life in, in, in Hawaii. Yeah. But again, uh, I think they were very happy doing that uh, in the end. Uh, but of course, um, uh, you know, I, I can't really say that they were <laughs> because I didn't ask that question. Uh, you know, uh, uh, and and um, I, I think though, um, in my own life, uh, one thing I've learned is that uh, you have children, and I have one child, that uh, your children are of course, different people. But you think that they're like you. Parts <laughs> of them. Yeah. Parts of them. Yeah. yeah. It's past yeah. But I, I think that. you feel, they feel, uh, you feel that, you know, uh, uh, they're more part of you than they are. But, but uh, I, I think, uh, looking back, uh, I think we did a good job because we always felt the objective of being a child to be, is to be happy. That's it. Well, obviously your daughter's very happy. She's living with you. She's <laughs> well, living with you, and I'm sure you are, too. <laughs> you are too. Well, thank you, you very much. I want to thank you so much, Ryan. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I want to thank all of you for watching this podcast. Make sure you press like and subscribe. And never forget, it's all on loan. So continue to reach for the stars. Because you're too blessed to be stressed.